Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Church in the Valley. We're glad that you're here to, to worship with us this morning. Uh, we're continuing the uh, message series called The Bible Unabridged. And in this series, we've been looking at really the help that the Bible can provide for our life. And we've been digging in the first week talking about that God is the source of the Bible and he has revealed it to us. And then last week we talked about how it provides clarity for life. It actually gives us a sense of the kind of life that we should live. And we have to actually choose to take steps towards getting to know the Bible, take the time to actually read it and try to soak it into our life. And we're going to be continuing along that theme uh, this morning, talking about the expert and how the Bible actually can provide expert help from God himself based on his view of things. And so as we read the Bible, uh, we want to dig in really learning of what God has to tell us about how life works, how does reality flow, and what's the ins and outs of that. Uh, expert help, personally, for me, is, is very important. Uh, many times I've jumped into something and realized I don't really have the wherewithal or the knowledge to figure things out. But depending on where you go for your expert advice, uh, you could be in trouble. And so wanted to give you three examples of experts that you could turn to, but that could actually cause a lot of havoc for your life. And so this is what would happen if you turned to Adam Sandler for parenting advice. What's with the kid wearing a cummerbund? I let him wear whatever he wants to wear. Those boots are the best. Who's are they? I know, right? I think they're Kevin's. I'll have a hot dog with a mustard and a canish. Frankenstein, what do you want? 30 packets of ketchup. All right. 30 packets of ketchup. 30 packets. Nice cut, pal. This is like a whole new school of child raising I'm doing. You give the kid options instead of orders. You know, let him make the right decision. You're a pioneer. So Sandler, pioneer, let the kid, he chooses. He has the options, and so he's going to eat ketchup for lunch. Um, what about dancing? If you ever thought, you know, I really need to get kind of better at my dance moves, and I need, I need help for that. And so maybe you might want to turn to Kevin James. That's what it's all about right there. I see how it gets bigger. Time to start the fire. Put the feet are going. Start the fire. I make a piece. Hit your old See what's funny about that is every time I try to like make fun of that scene, I realize like I dance the exact same way. And so that could have been me up there. Uh, or if you've ever had a house or you've rented an apartment and you've tried to fix something, you may think like, well, I, I don't know how to fix the sink. I don't know how to repair this problem that I have in the home. And so what would happen if you turned to Tim Allen for your home improvement? Well, I was going to get to that. <laughs> So that, that's all fun and games and enjoyable to watch. Uh, but really, expert advice, if it's from the wrong source, um, could have some impact. If you're looking to get some information on how to fix your home, but you talk to somebody that has no idea, then you could mess up part of your home and you could be in trouble. Uh, if you talk to somebody about how to dance, 
you know, you may look embarrassed if you're at a wedding and there's dancing and you have no idea what you're doing. But if you do ask for expert advice on parenting and Adam Sandler is your only source, that actually could mess up the kit. Because ketchup for the rest of your life, I don't know what that would do to your health. And allowing him just to choose whatever he wants to do, that, that, that's going to come out 20 years later. And so some things that we look for advice on may not make a difference, but other things that really matter in life, like what we base our life on, what we determine is, is right or wrong, our advice and who we turn to is crucial. And oftentimes as we deal with the important things in life, how we should live, what it should look like, the kind of attitudes we should choose that we face, how we deal with our problems and trouble, the impact of the advice may not be felt right in the here and now. But 15 years later, we could see that, wow, I'm really glad I trusted that advice. It got me to the right destination. Or, unfortunately, many of us, we can seek the wrong advice and realize that I'm down the line and I really got off the wrong course. I'm on the wrong path. This isn't where I want it to be. Uh, in the normal series that we kicked off before we talked about the Bible, we talked about how God is, has hit the role of creator in the universe. He's the one that defines what is normal, what is moral, what is acceptable, what is good. And when we base our life on his definition of normal, we actually have a sense of where we should head. Instead of basing our view of normal on culture, which changes and shifts as things become popular, unpopular, important, unimportant. And the reason that's so important as we talk about in this series and as we've kind of trickled into the idea of the Bible is we find that God actually does want to guide us through the scriptures. As we seek him, he uses the Bible so we can know how to live the life that actually pleases him. Not just in trivial things, but in really important things. Like what should we be? What kind of co-workers should we be? What are the kind of people that we should be in our communities and in our families? And depending on where we turn for our advice, the definition is going to be very different. And so, really, our goal in this series is to look at, if you want to know the good life, and you want to actually know how life works according to reality, then you, you have to turn to God, and you specifically need to get to know God through the Scriptures themselves. He has revealed it, and it's really our job to take the time to investigate what he has said. And so in the Bible, we see the authority on how to live life from, from God himself. And as we seek God, we actually can get guided from what the Bible says. And God's word is really the way that we discover God's guidance. Many times uh, we can approach spiritual matters as something that's mystical. It's a feeling that we have or it's a sense or we want to know that it's going to make me happy. We want to know that it's right. But what you find in the God of the Bible and in Christianity specifically is it's actually not a feeling or a mysticism. If you want to know who God is, he's given us the Bible so we can know it. And specifically, we can know him. And if you want to know how he leads, you can read the scriptures to discover that. If you want to know what's important to him, you can read it. And so in the Bible, we have this book that's not just an instruction manual, but it's really a life book that gives us this picture of the kind of life that actually makes a difference, the kind of life that, that pleases God. But it's really our role to allow him to guide us. It's really our choice to allow him to guide us through this. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about how we allow God to guide us through the scriptures. And I'm going to walk through a passage in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament that gives this picture of here's the attitude that you should have as you try to seek God 
through the scriptures. Uh, the, the first thing is we, we search for God's guidance by humbly seeking God and allowing him to lead us. Many times when we read a book, it's easy to be scholarly. And certainly when you read the scriptures, you don't want to put your brain off or turn your intelligence off. But there's a picture where we have to actually, in humility, consider that the Bible can show us things that we do not know. That it may have truth that we do, have not discovered. There's knowledge that is not native to us. So there's this attitude that we choose when we look at the Bible where it's not just a textbook where we want to know facts, but we actually look at it as it actually has something to offer. Isaiah 55 says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteousness man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. There's this picture of seeking God. It's this idea of you, you want to investigate the scriptures, not as a cynic or skeptic, but you want to investigate because there's so much that you can discover as you dig into it. You don't just read the words on the page, turn the page and read the chapter and turn the page and read the chapter and think, I have no idea what I read. There's this idea where you, you really care about what God has to say and you want to seek it out. You want to investigate it and you want to take the time to do that. And there's this idea that that really is the recipe for success. If you investigate and find out God's view of things, you actually are going to be living in line with how life really works. And I don't know about you, but nothing is frustrated or frustrating more than trying to do something that doesn't work. Now, in that Tim Allen clip, Home Improvement, that's all funny until like the nail gun comes and you're like, okay, somebody could die. That's serious. But I've, I've gone on some home improvement projects myself where I realize I'm like way in over my head. And at that point, I'm frustrated. At that point, I'm realizing I have no idea what I'm doing. And I want to be successful. I want to get the project done. Ultimately, I want this to work so I can move on. But when you're in that point in life where you're trying to make things work, and you've got the square peg and you've got the round hole and it's not working, you, you do need help. And that's the point at which all of us need to come to realizing that we really don't have all the answers. Within ourselves, we realize that we have certain confidence in the things, but we realize, I don't know if that's going to actually be able to hold our weight, if we're really honest. And so this idea of humbly seeking is this idea that, you know, I don't have all the answers. I, don't, I can't connect all the dots. And if I could, I don't even know what the picture is. And I'd like God to show me. So that's very important. Investigate. But really wanting to know the picture that God wants to give us so we know how to live our life. Uh, we also allow God to guidance, guide us as we allow His thoughts to shape our thoughts and opinions. Okay? This is the next two verses that kind of gives you this view of who God is related to who we are. And it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So, the way you do things, the way I do things, most of the time, that's not how God does things. Your thoughts, my thoughts, a lot of the time, that's not the way God thinks. So there's just this line that's drawn. He is God, and we're not. We have limitations in what we can know. We have limitations in what we can understand. We have limitations on what we think is good, what we think is bad. And then he goes on. It says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Really, the idea here is we have to realize that our good intentions and our goals and the things that we have, the things that we want for our life, whether it's related to the relationship we're in, the goals we have for that, the work we're in, where we hope to be in the future, the problems we're facing, how we think we're going to get out of it. There's a point in which all the things that we think and understand as being this is it, this is the only way it can happen, this is the only way it can work, as you tap into God and the resources of the Scriptures, you find that most of the time our view is very narrow and it's based on our own understanding. And as we dig into the Bible, we see that there's a vast expanse of the knowledge of God that shows us it's not just this. It's so much bigger, it's so much wider. God's thoughts can't be contained in our little dreams, in our little goals. I experienced this early on. I, I finished college and... I didn't realize how much I loved college until I was out of college and then I got a job. College is the greatest thing ever when you get your first time full-time job. And I remember being in this job and all of a sudden I was sitting there and I was waking up every day and I had to get there early and I was in sales and sales weren't coming and it was like so frustrated and I was, I got to the point where I was like, you know what? This isn't fun. I really don't want to work. Like, I, you know, I don't know what I was going to do, but it wasn't fun. I didn't really want to do it. And I was so frustrated, and I thought, you know, first off, this job's just not really fitting into what I want in my life. And I was married at the time, and I tried not to kind of talk to my wife about the fact that it's not fun, I don't really want to work anymore because, you know, we needed money. Uh, but ultimately, I, I just had this kind of burden that I was just, oh, work. It's so work. Where's the play? And what I realized is I had a view of work that was very limited based on my own understanding that really I deserved a fun job. And that made complete sense to me. Why not? And then I, I kind of hit some other things related to my boss. Like, not only was the work not that fun, but the boss actually had expectations that I was supposed to hit. And I thought, well, sure. Like, I thought those are suggestions. But those are real. And I began to get this picture of work that was very different than my own expectation. It's a lot harder than I thought. The expectations were a lot realer than I thought. And so I was really battling with myself this idea of like, where's that fun job that pays more than I deserve where I don't have to do much? You ever been there? If you found it, find it. But don't let it go. But I don't think it exists. Because work is work. And I was reading one day in the scriptures and I was really kind of just challenged and burdened and unmotivated to get up. And just that when my alarm goes off, it's like, oh, I don't really want to go to work. Because it's work. You hear myself talk. I mean, that doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, it's work. That's what it is. That's what you're paid to do to work. And I read the scriptures one day and Colossians 3.23 just hit me upside the head. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men. Work heartily. Work hard. Work diligently. Do all that you can do. Get up and do your job. Why? Because you're doing it for God Himself. And all of a sudden, I begin to shift and realize, you know what? Fun or not fun, that's not the gauge. Despite my expectations, the gauge was, I'm working for God. And the reason I know that is because He told me. As I read the Scriptures, 
It became very real, and I began to change my attitude. And you know what? As my, God changed my attitude, and I realized that I didn't have the right to certain things that I thought I had the right for, or the right to. I realized that work actually became a lot more enjoyable when I was doing it for God himself. Not for myself, not even for my boss, but I was doing it for him. And as I was doing it for him, I was motivated in a new way. Because the gauge was not fun. The gauge was pleasing the one who gave me the job. And that's what the scriptures do. We have our own thoughts and opinions based on our culture, based on the media, based on our family upbringing, based on all the things that made sense to us growing up, all the things that we read in the here and now. And it creates this picture that seems right. It seems like it makes a lot of sense. And then all of a sudden you read the scriptures and it's at that point where you have a different view that you have to choose. Which view do I adopt? And many times the view of the scriptures is the one that doesn't make sense to us. And that's why our attitude is so important. Because we have to decide at that point, will I allow God to shape my thoughts and opinions? Will I allow God to actually show me something that may challenge the view I have about a specific area in my life. Whether that's dating, whether that's work, whether that's parenting, whether that's your attitude, that's what the scriptures do. But we have to humbly approach it, we have to investigate it, and we have to allow God's thoughts to trump our thoughts. He defines what is right, what is good, what is moral, what is bad, what is evil. And I have to choose, will I let Him shape me? And that's key to all of us to really understanding the Bible's role in our life. The last thing that you find in that that chapter of Isaiah is we actually have to place our confidence in the Scriptures. This is the point where as you're investigating and as you're getting to know God, it actually becomes a thing where you, you have to choose to trust that His way is the right way. Now, it may challenge your view. It may not be exactly what you want, but at some point you have to decide this is really where you obey. I want to do what it says. I want to do what he tells me. That's the point where we place our confidence. I'm going to step out and say, okay, this is, this is what God's told me to do. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that's going to look like, how that's going to impact my life, but I want to do what he says. We place our confidence in him. And this is why Isaiah 55 paints this picture. This is verse 10 and 11. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven... And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is giving the case of why we can trust God's word. Because it goes out and it doesn't come empty. They're not empty words. They're not broken promises. They're not ideas that can't really stand the test of time, that can't really stand the test of history. If you think of people that have followed God and followed Jesus Christ from the time He was here to the time He ascended into heaven to today, you have people again and again that have decided that what He says was real enough that they have actually laid their life on the line to do what He said. People have died. People have sacrificed. People have stood against many people that said, you cannot follow him. And they've said, I will. Why? Because they see that the promises of God can be trusted. Not only do they come 
they don't come up empty, but there's this idea that there's a fruit that comes from the Word of God. There's the fruit that comes from doing what He says. Now, all of us, if you were going to look at the different areas of your life, want fruit. You want good to come. None of us wants emptiness. None of us wants a void in a certain area. We all want good to come. We want sprouts of fruit where we see what we did was worth it. What we did made a difference. This is what the Bible is telling us. The way you experience fruit is by obeying God. And the way you obey God is you get to know the Scriptures and you do what He says. You have to draw near to investigate. You have to humbly approach it. You have to find out His thoughts. You have to challenge your own thoughts and opinions. You have to bank on His Word versus my own understanding. And as you do that, that's how He guides. It's not a success book, a quick fix book. It's actually the Lord's message to us where we, as we read it, we get to know Him. And as we get to know Him, we find that He guides us through it. And He uses the Holy Spirit so we know this is what I need to do. This is how I need to do it. As we bank on the Scriptures and actually get the Bible into our life, it makes a difference in our life. But each of us have to choose where the Bible fits and ranks into our time, into our priorities, into what's important to us. My hope is that we will take the steps to getting it into our life, getting to know who God is, and ultimately placing our confidence in His, in His words. And you see from that, that, those last two verses, there's this picture of the words will not return empty. They shall accomplish God purposes, it shall succeed, and I sent it. There's this idea of the word is given to us, the promises of God are given to us. And he has the authority to bring about that which he has said. He can be trusted. We can put our hope in him. What you find is you also read in the New Testament and you get to know Jesus who came to really model what life looks like to submit to the Word of God, you actually find that Jesus demonstrated the authority of God's Word Himself. And when Jesus came, many who followed the Old Testament, who followed the law, thought, is Jesus for real? Is He going to actually do what the Old Testament says? Is He going to be the good servant of the Bible? Is He going to be obedient to the Bible? Or has He come as a radical? Has He come to just say that, you know what, don't follow that anymore. Follow me. I have the new way. And many people were wondering, what's he going to do? Is he going to align with the Old Testament? Or is he going to create this new way? They're watching him closely. Some were out for him because they were so concerned about what he was going to do. Some were intrigued. They wanted to follow him because he seemed like he's this new leader. He has authority like no one has authority. And there was such an interest. And as you can read the scriptures, you find again and again the crowds that were gathered. The crowds were gathered. But again and again, Jesus made it clear that he himself was here to live according to the words of God. Not contrary to it, not against it. He himself was going to live by it. I'm going to just read through kind of an example of how he did this. And he taught 
the scriptures and he lived the scriptures. And in Matthew chapter 5, you get this picture of this, this dialogue that's going on with Jesus' view of the words of God. It says in, in chapter 5, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, that I've come to overturn it, that I've come to just say that they're void. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. What he's saying is, I've not come to scratch it out, I've not come to edit it, I've not come to put a new spin on something that you didn't see, I've actually come to fulfill it. There was prophecies about Jesus and Jesus saying, I'm coming to actually fulfill what those prophecies said. I'm coming so the more complete picture of the revelation of God will be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And then he goes into the specifics of how important even the smallest part of the Bible. And uh, an iota... Uh, in, is the smallest letter of the Greek alphabet. I think you'll see it there on the screen. Okay? He's saying that the words of God are important even as the smallest. He talks about the letter in, in, in Hebrew as well, and you'll see that on the screen as well. And that right there is a, a shift in, between two letters. And he's saying, uh, go to the next screen. If you add just this bottom part, from the P, it creates an R. And he's saying that nothing can be changed, even to this smaller thing, because if you make just small adjustments, if you make small shifts, people can manipulate and twist the Scriptures, kind of like what we talked about last week. And he's saying, I've come not to abolish even the smallest thing in the words of God, but I've come to fulfill it. I've come to make it known. I've come to show you that, that I submit to it. Not an iota should be changed. This idea that the chapters, the books, the sentences, the words, these are the inspired Word of God that we have to submit to. And Jesus Himself is saying this Bible, the words of God, are crucial. You have to have a tight grip on it. You have to know what it says because it actually can impact your life and impact your future. And then he goes on and, and really gives this picture of how serious it is. And he says in verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes, it's this idea of you need to have a firm grip on the Bible, not just a, a loose palm where it can fall out. It's this idea of it's tight. You want to know it. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. There's this picture of if you act, do what the Bible says, you do what it says, and you actually teach others on how to do it as well, and you want people to actually know how to live the Bible, how to be obedient, how to actually submit to it, that's where you are blessed. But if you don't take it seriously, it's mere reference point among reference points. If it's a book among other books, it's merely an opinion. It doesn't impact. And in fact, if you really relax your view of the Bible and how important it is, 
you actually miss out on the blessings of God. Because it's in the obeying of it that God blesses. In the doing of what it says that He comes through again and again. The message paraphrase says this. Uh, Paraphrase is really one man's kind of take on the Scriptures. It's actually helpful to kind of get uh, a different flavor of the Scripture, but it's a paraphrase. It's not actually a translation. He says this. This is uh, Eugene Peterson in The Message. He says, Trivialize even the smallest item in God's law, and you will have only trivialized yourself. But take it seriously. Show the way for others, and you will find honor in the kingdom. That's a great word, trivialize. I oftentimes read the scripture and there's a part of me going, oh, come on, that's trivial. I, I can, my attitude can be like that. Where I don't want to take it seriously. Or I don't want to take the time to actually understand what it says. I want to blow past it because I don't agree with it. And we all can face that. Where it's, you know, living the way God wants us to live can be trivial. Like, oh, come on, I just want to do what I want to do. I just want to do what's easier. I just want to do what feels right. I just want to do that makes me happy. We all fight that. But if we push through those, those feelings and sometimes the laziness and the outright just stubbornness that we all experience and we have a firm grip on the Bible and we bank our life on it and we live according to it, there's honor. There's fruit that will come. Just like God was talking about in, in Isaiah. I wanted to just give a few just reference points. Just This is practically how Jesus actually submitted himself to the authority of, of the Scriptures. Here's just three examples. Uh, the first is, he appealed to the Word when his, his actions were questioned. People were wondering who you're about, why you're doing what you're doing. Always checking his motives. Always wanting to know if he was for real. Wanting to know if he was a fake teacher, if he was a false god, if he was a false prophet. And he again and again went to the Scriptures. And you can see that in Matthew 12, 3. He also used the Word to support his teaching on, on marriage, the resurrection, and judgment. And so he taught with authority, because he was Jesus, but he also taught with a reference point to God's law. He knew God's law. He referred to it. He appealed to it. And he, he submitted to it. And then the third way is he actually used the Word of God to fight off the temptations of Satan. Matthew 4, 4, chapter 7, 10 as well. If you've never read that account, it's, a, it's this, a picture, and I'm just going to briefly describe it, where Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness and Satan comes to him and appeals to basically, I can give you status that you've never had. I can give you power that you've never had. He's been fasting. I'll give you food so you'll be comfortable. And each temptation of Satan that appealed to the the need for power or status or comfort, Jesus himself used the Bible to counter the attack of the evil one. So Jesus himself is showing us, this is how you fight the wrong thoughts. This is how you fight the temptations from others. This is how you fight When people say it's this way, but God's word says it's this way. At the point where the tension is, you have to choose. I will refer and appeal to the scriptures. This is Jesus. He modeled this for us. 
And God guides us as we again and again battle through those thoughts which are native to us, battle through the temptations which just can sometimes just pound us and pound us and pound us. Again and again, as we learn God's Word, what He wants us to do, and we do it. We're now standing on the firm foundation of the truth of God and how He has made life work. So this is, this is crucial for my life, how I lead my family, how I help people for your life, how you work at your jobs, how you relate to the people that are close to you. How do we know how to live? If we prefer to God, we actually have the expert help to guide us. In closing, I just want to give you a, a chance to kind of see how you can. We talked about getting a firm grip on the scriptures. And if, if you're new to following Christ, or maybe you've been a Christian a long time and just reading the scriptures has always been a battle for you. It's been hard for you to carve out the time. It's been hard for you to maybe understand. It's been hard for you to make it a priority in your life. Uh, there's a handout in your program I want you to, to pull out. And it's how to get a firm grip on the Bible. And this is an illustration for the navigators, which have provided so much help on how to live a disciplined spiritual life, how to grow, how to help other people grow. And this illustration, I think, is one of the best on how to actually get the Word of God in your life. And you'll see it's, there's a hand there, and each finger represents a different way that you can approach uh, the Scriptures. Um, you can uh, read it, you can hear it, um, you can meditate on it, you can memorize it, you can apply it. And, and as you do those, each you, you get this different picture of how the Bible works. You get a different picture of, of how God wants to speak to you through it. One of my most popular approaches growing up as it came to the Scriptures was to hear it. You just show up, someone's teaching, you've heard it. You've thought, yes, I'm living the Bible because I've heard it. Actually, you can hear the Bible, but just like your biology teacher in high school, you can hear a lot, but you may understand very little. Right? Because hearing, you know, it goes in your ears, it may rattle around your brain, but you're not exactly sure what to do with it. And so on a Sunday morning, as we teach the Bible and as we want you to be exposed to the truths of the Scriptures, as you sit and you listen, that's really good. But if only listening is the only way you're getting the Bible into your life, you're missing out on so many other ways that He wants the Scriptures to become a part of your life. And so hear, hearing is it's very limited. Reading it can really help. And I've talked a little bit about how you read the scriptures, not just like a textbook. I was a pro at like, when I had an assignment at school, I would read pages. And I don't know how I did this. I, my eyes would read the words. I'd get to the bottom of the page and I would go to the next page and I would read the words. And I'd get to the bottom of it. And I'd be like, great, I'm done with my assignment. I've read the chapter. And then the question came like, what did I just read? Do you know how many times I had no idea? I don't know how that works. You guys done that before? Your eyes are moving. Your pages are turning. But there is nothing going on here. That could be me. Okay, I admit that. But you can't read the Bible like that. You can't just turn pages and read words. 
it actually needs to, to soak to soak in. So you can hear it, you can read it. Memorizing it, that can greatly help your knowledge of the Bible. If you ever face the problem and you're in the middle of something, maybe there's an argument with somebody that you care about. If you've memorized a scripture on how to deal with your anger or how to love someone in the situation, in the heat of a battle, in an argument with somebody that you love, it's very difficult to say, will you hold on a second? I've got to go get my Bible to find out what I should do. But I'm listening. You keep talking while I go get that. Okay, the conflict doesn't go well. But if you actually know the Scriptures and it's memorized and it's in your mind and you've chewed on it and you've meditated on it, which is another way, in the middle of that, you can get the help of God. It only comes as you've memorized the Scriptures. One of the first memory verses I remember learning in high school was James 1.19. And my dad came to me and he's like, let's memorize this verse together because my dad would get angry at me, I'd get angry at him, and we'd have little battles together. And my dad came and said, let's memorize James 1.19. It says, you know, therefore, my brothers, be quick to... No, I can't even remember it. Therefore, my brothers, be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to become angry. And I memorized that, and I, I thought, okay, in the midst of my anger and the things that are going on in my mind, I need to be quick to listen. Talk about, like, challenging your view of things. Arguments, I thought, meant turn your ears off, open your mouth, let words flow. In the Bible, it's the opposite. You close your mouth, you open your ears. You listen to what they have to say. It's only as I, I thought through that and I memorized that 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 became real, that it actually changed what I did. It actually changed my behavior because my view was different. My perspective was different. And so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time walking through that, but that handout, I encourage you this week, read through that and look at the different aspects of how you approach the Scriptures. Are you basing kind of your whole knowledge of knowing God and who He is based on hearing? Or are you reading and realizing that you're not really taking the time to actually understand? Have you ever, ever memorized a Scripture? How could you do that? If you need help on that, we'd love to help you. How do you meditate on the Scriptures? How do you actually think through what God wants to communicate in the here and now based on what He said maybe a thousand years ago? Have you ever taken the time to actually think through that? Think through the different words. Think through the whole sentence. Think through the chapter. Take the time to actually just pull out what does God want to tell me through this? But I want to encourage you. That's the next step that we have today. And as the band comes up, I'm going to wrap up. I want you to think through, is there just an aspect of reading the Bible or approaching the Bible or trying to get the Bible into your life that, that you, you've, just, you've never tried before? Or maybe you have and you've just kind of gone off of it or life just has overwhelmed you and you're just having a hard time even reading the Scriptures. Or maybe you've never tried that. I encourage you today, take a step. And on your connection card, once you guys pull that out, and I want you to just circle one of those one or two areas that you could take in just your approach to the Bible. If you're not even ready for that, maybe you need a Bible. Let me know. We'd love to get you a Bible. Or if you've just never read it before, you think, I just need to open it up and read it. Maybe that's your next step. But there's a point 
in which all we're saying cannot help unless you actually decide to read the Bible for yourself. Because again, everything you hear, you forget. When I get up here next week and I say, hey, you guys, you give the review. What was last week about? You'd be like, eh, we watched Kevin James dancing. That's what you'll remember. Because that's what I would remember. Because we forget about 90% of what we hear. So just think through, how does God want to change your perspective from reading His words and His view on how life works? So you could circle one of those areas. The second thing I want you to think about, and then I'll be done, is what are you facing in your life right now where you have your own thoughts and you have your own opinions and it just doesn't seem to be working? The expectations are off, the goals are off, and it just doesn't seem like you're actually moving forward like you want to move forward. Is it in your work like it was for me? Is it with your finances? Is it with your relationships? Is it with your future? Is it with your past? Think about that. And that might be the very thing that God wants to show you in the Bible where you can get a different view. So I encourage you to think through that. And I'll be praying for you this week as you do that. Let's pray together as we wrap up. God, thank you for your word. Uh, it is good and it is it's actually life to our weary souls. And it, it is hope uh, to the skeptics in all of us. And it is clear um, even when life is confusing. And God, we, we thank you for the words that you've given us in the scriptures. And God, wherever we are, I ask that you'll help us to open it, to read it, to chew on it, and ultimately to apply it. God, help us to be people that want to know what you say and want to do what you tell us to do. So we ask for your power and your help as we do this in the name of Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.